1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Mike, you, what time do you, you get here stupid early, right, for the, like the morning show yeah, and stuff? Yeah, about 345. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. That's that's good. All right. So, so when I assume when you come in, all these road closures and stuff around here, really, it's not an issue. I experience no traffic. Ah, well, on any day. I um, guess I guess that is the answer. If you want to not worry about all the road construction around here, come in at three forty-five in the morning. You get all used right. to it. Okay, well, you, you get used to it. All right. Well, all right. I, I, I bring this up because yesterday was a big day here. Um, of course, we, we are now owned by Good Karma Brands. As a matter of fact, if you want to go and, and see my conversation with the CEO of Good Karma Brands, Craig Karmazin, it's up on our Facebook page, facebook.com. Thousands of people have looked at it. By the way, as we do every day, we live stream the first couple segments of the program, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. But people are asking me, well, what's the future of WTMJ? And so I, I would just direct you to my 20-minute conversation with Mr. Carmazin yesterday, where he kind of answers a bunch of those questions and the, what he sees the his vision moving forward to be. But I, I do feel bad because a number of our new teammates from Good Karma are now located here, and they they must think that it's like a war zone to get here. And these are folks who work downtown Milwaukee, and they must think, what what are we moving to? Not because it's not a nice building, but because. Thank you, Tom Barrett. It's almost impossible to get here. The one way is was closed down because they are resurfacing the street. They had that all torn up. So today, if for if you get off on the freeway and you get off on the Capitol Drive exit and you want to go east to get to our place, it has been a nightmare for the last couple of weeks, but it's getting worse because, first of all, at Capitol Drive and Green Bay Avenue, they had a bucket truck up, and it, for days and days, they were working on, on trying to get the lights fixed or something like that. All right, so it's down to one lane, and you had to, like, circle around, and you had all this traffic was merging, and you had this bottleneck. Okay, all right, so they finally have the light fixed, but they don't have the lane open because <clears throat> a block or two to the east on Capitol Drive, they're, they're doing some sort of road work. And so as a result, it goes from three lanes to one, and you've got cars going north on Green Bay Road turning to go east. You've got people coming on Capitol Drive west heading east, and you've got people heading, again, south on Green Bay Road or turning left to go east. All right, so it's this huge bottleneck, and they've managed to make it worse because now it goes from three lanes down to one because they are doing some type of road work. Now, I say some type of road work because as I was driving in today, there's nobody working. I mean, they, they've got the cones up. They've got the roads blocked. And I'm thinking, gee, what are they doing here? I don't know because at 10 o'clock in the morning, there's not a single person out there doing it. Oh, I, I stand corrected, except one guy who's got a push broom who's brushing something. Otherwise, the road, the traffic is closed all over. Now, I think this is actually part of this larger plot. Tom Barrett, who desperately wants the flop, I mean the hop to work out, I, I think the idea is let's tear up all the roads, let's put out barrels, let's block off stuff, making it impossible for people to drive around the community so they're going to have no choice but to, man, to demand that Tom's trolley folly be extended all over the city. We will discuss that in just a couple minutes. But I want to start off today, and again, Live streaming the segment, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. I want to start off with a, a video that was released by the Milwaukee Police Department yesterday. You, you might be familiar with this situation. It, it's, it happened 
early August. It's actually, it's August 13th, and it involves the, the shooting of a 31-year-old man named Mario Hobson by multiple police officers during a traffic stop. And the, the video gives you a, at least an indication of, of what ended up happening. Now, the, the video is available. It's posted on our website. It's on other websites. Um, I, I'm not going to play it because there is some audio, and at one point in time you have some bad words that are being said and things like that. But essentially, here, here's what the, the video shows. It begins with Milwaukee police officers making a traffic stop near 27th and West Mitchell Street. Now, the man who ultimately ends up getting shot, Mario Hobson, he's a passenger. He's in the front seat of this car that is being pulled over by the police. So the police get out of the car. He's in the passenger seat, this Hobson guy. And what they do is they ask the driver, for a variety of reasons, they ask the driver to get out of the car. So the driver steps out of the car. At that point in time, this Mario Hobson, who is the passenger in the front seat, he scoots over into the driver's seat and and takes off. And the officer's kind of holding the the door. The car pulls away. The officer falls down, says some bad words. And the Milwaukee police then begin to chase this vehicle that's now driven by this person who turns out to be Mario Hobson, who's fleeing from the, the traffic site. As it turns out later, Hobson was wanted on warrants for domestic violence and a probation violation. But anyhow, he, he's driving off. One of the officers has been knocked in the street. The officers pursue the car north on 27th Street and then ultimately lose sight of it. Hobson gets away. All right. So then nothing happens for a while. Later in the day, about 5 p.m., officers at South 10th and West Burnham Streets approach an SUV that is double parked and in which Hobson is a passenger in the back seat of the car. So he's in the back seat. This is the guy who fled earlier in the day. When one of the officers and what's happening is there's because he fled, there's multiple police officers that are now on on the scene. So now it's a situation where for whatever reason, they know he's in that car. They're going to try to make an arrest. When one of the officers opens the rear driver's door, Mario Hobson, 31 years old, emerges with a gun. Now, the, the video is a little bit unclear, but there's no doubt that he, he's got a gun. And it appears that he's got the gun to his head. And, and he's, he's yelling, I'm going to kill myself. The officers, once they see this guy get out of the car with the gun, they, they all, everybody's scurrying. Everybody's kind of backing off. You see guns pointed at him. They yell for him to drop the gun. And he starts to turn towards them. And you can kind of see this on the video. And he's got the gun. And as he doesn't drop the gun, but rather turns towards them, a number of officers fire. You, you see multiple officers shooting at him. He is shot. He is killed. Now, the police department says an individual armed with a firearm is extremely dangerous because he can start shooting at any moment in any direction. The suspect's actions show disregard for the officer's lawful orders and force the situation to its conclusion. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that is a fair and accurate description of what happened in this particular situation. Hobson 
was not given the chance to fire. And he did not, in fact, fire. He gets out of the car with a gun in his hand, kind of at his head. They then retreat, all these multiple officers, because they saw the guy with the gun. They yell at him to drop the gun. And he, with the gun in his hand, he kind of turns towards them. And then they start to fire. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the officers, based on this tape and based on the, the photographic evidence, should they have handled this differently, or did, did they have no choice other than to do what it is that they did? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Let's start with Peggy in Brookfield. Peggy, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. All right, did the police do anything other, should they have done something different in handling the situation? Absolutely not. For one thing, um, the officer, the guy had a gun. It only took a split second for him to turn the gun on those police officers, and it would have been one dead, or could have been one dead. The other thing that could have happened, think of the possibility if that guy had put the gun to his head and shot himself in the head or had a a bad shot, that bullet could have gone through him and into someone else and killed someone else. So now you would have two people dead. So I think absolutely what the officers did was, was justified. Well, I mean, I right, I guess and the question becomes, at, at what point in time when somebody gets out of a vehicle and is confronted by police officers and is waving a, a gun around, at, at, you know, what are the police officers supposed to do in that situation? You, you, They instruct him to drop the gun, and he doesn't immediately drop the gun, and he turns towards him. Can, can you... Do you have to wait for him to fire that gun? And if you do, you're going to have dead police officers all over. That's my point exactly. If you do the, it's you know, the police officer wants to go home that night. The guy's standing there with the gun. He has the choice to make it happen where he's going to go, go home at night or someone's going to be dead. So the police officers definitely have to, have to shoot. Yeah. No, no other option. Right. Now, thanks. And, and look, and it's an unfortunate situation. And, and I will tell you this. There's no there's no police officer, male or female, that wakes up in the morning, puts on that badge, goes to work and say, gee, today's the day I, I hope somebody jumps out of a car with a gun and forces me, you know, to to pull the trigger. That That's just not the way police officers think. I don't care what you've seen in the movies or whatever. It, it's but it is one of these split second decisions. And it is in many cases, it's, it's a life or death situation. I think this is one of these things where clearly I don't know what motivated this man to do what he did. I don't know why it was that he decided when they had originally stopped the car hours earlier, he was going to jump into the driver's seat and, and drive off. Now, presumably, be, because he presumably knew that he was wanted for various violations and was trying to avoid being arrested. Okay, so you figure out that's what his motivation is, but that's a bad choice that he makes. And then what's he doing with a gun later on? And what's he doing jumping out of that car, waving the gun around or putting the gun to his head and disobeying the police orders? It's it's a bad situation. There's no question about it. And it is unfortunate in the extreme that this man lost his life. But if I'm one of those police officers on the scene, you know, when you're confronted by somebody with a firearm, your choices are limited. Let's talk to Ryan in Brown Deer. Ryan, you're in WTMJ. How you doing? Hi, Ryan. Uh, I'm going to take another point of view. Um, because of this man's color of his skin, I've seen officers go through this before, and they've taken extra great care to talk somebody out of something. Now, when, you, when you're when faced with a person of this color, you don't get that option. 
Now, if he had a gun and wanted to kill himself, I mean, off the cuff, I said let him kill himself. But as far as an officer taking that decision, uh, if he would have pointed the gun at him, I would have said fine. But he did not point the gun at any one of these officers. Well, he was, he didn't drop the gun. He was turning towards them. I guess, do you, and that's, that's the problem, Ryan. I mean, it's a split second sort of thing. Do you think that they should have, I mean, it takes, it takes, I just, again, a split second to pull that trigger. Do you think that they should have waited to see if he was going to fire at the officers before they fired back? No, because first of all, he didn't drop the gun. He didn't right. bring the gun down. Right. So for them to make that, for you to make that assumption, or anybody to make that assumption, is is Monday morning quarterbacking, which is is is, is really silly. You got to go by the facts if you're a police officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, that guy is not trained to shoot, and he probably would have wouldn't wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have done anything with the gun. It probably did. The gun probably didn't even have any bullets in it in the first place. But of course, uh, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. But the truth I'm is, but the officer, it. but the officers don't know that. I mean, you you can't, you know, if somebody's pointing a gun at you, you can't assume that the the gun is. And I don't know the truth one way or the other. But it, it, if somebody's pointing a gun at you or waving a gun around, I I don't think you want to assume it's empty. I mean, do you? Uh, no, I understand that. But no, he wasn't waving a gun, and he wasn't pointing at either one of them. So at that point, for them to kill because of something they perceived to happen. Is that's what you keep getting people killed for? Is these 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 uh, bone-headed decisions that these cops make? Well, and, and, and they're always acting like they're scared and afraid and afraid. They're under they're no pressure. They're under no. They're, there's no reason to be. They got bulletproof vests. They've been trained for it about forty of them. What they're scared of? They ain't nothing to be well, scared of. Well, no, thanks for no. See, I, I, I mean, Ryan, I, I think I, I think you you got to take a step back there. You know, if you have a bunch of, you have officers, and again, if you look at the videotape, they're, they're running, they're trying to, you know, run for cover, get behind car doors and things like that. If you have someone who is waving around a firearm and, and you tell them to drop the gun and they don't immediately drop the gun and then they make a a movement which could result, I mean, again, I I don't think the officers have to wait till somebody shoots the gun. And the idea that, oh, we shot him because we fired because he was a person of color. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, if somebody's out there with a firearm, it's easy to tell these police officers, oh, oh, just, you know, just wait and try to talk them down. But when they've got that gun in their hand, they're in an exposed sort of situation that they have to act. Or like I say, you end up with dead police officers. You end up with dead citizens. I don't know. civilians. I, I don't know what he would have ultimately done. And who knows how this ultimately plays out. But when. Officers do have to make these split-second decisions, and when you tell somebody, drop the gun, and they don't drop the gun, you know, where where do you go? Josh in Waupon. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. What um, do you think? Well, first of all, I think the cops showed a lot of restraint by not shooting him when he first got out of the car with the gun. Um, a gun's only used for one thing, and that's to kill, and if he was going to use it to kill himself, well, he died. And if he was going to use it to kill an officer, well, then he got shot. Right. And on top of it, to show he had no disregard for the police lives if he took off the first time with the cop hanging on the door. Right. So. Right. It's just, it's a, I mean, thanks for It's just a, it's a bad situation all around. And who knows what was going on here? Was this what they call like the suicide by cop sometimes? I, I don't know. But I, I watched the videotape and I, I admit when you're, when you're looking at this tape and you see multiple officers fire, that's, you go, oh, didn't need to do that. But the answer is put yourself in that police officer's 
you know, shoes. And imagine you're in this situation. Somebody has a gun. They're, they've got it at their head, but they don't drop it. They start to turn with it. How long can you wait? Um, again, this shooting is under investigation. People are taking a look at it. I will say this, though. Based on what I saw on the, on the tape yesterday, I, I don't see misconduct by the police. It's 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's a Hall of Fame quarterback matchup in Foxborough this weekend. Why don't the careers of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady mirror each other more? Greg Matzik thinks it's a complicated answer, and he'll explain why tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. Hmm. Well, they don't mirror each other more because Tom Brady's won a whole bunch of Super Bowls under Bill Belichick, and the Packers haven't won a bunch of Super Bowls under Mike McCarthy. It's pretty sort of straightforward and simple. Then the question becomes, why has that happened? And that's perhaps a different and arguably more complicated issue. All right. I learned something new about the flop. I mean, the hop today. I, I, I just, I mean, after, you know, several years of discussion, Tom Barrett has gotten his way, and the 2.1-mile trolley line is now up and running. It, you're never going to have, though, an accurate indication of, of what real usage is going to be because, at least short term, it's free. And, and so I, I'm sure the first week or two or three or whatever, there's going to be this sort of novelty effect that you can ride it for free. And let's see where this goes. It'll, it'll be it'll be fine. Once you start charging for it, it becomes a little bit more problematic. However, the truth is, and I, this is what I learned today, I was checking out a bunch of sites and there, there's actually there's a there's a liberal website called urban milwaukee and that that's I, I mean i check it from time to time and there that the website is a huge advocate for for the, the trolley and that that's all well and good and they have these things that you need to know about the trolley and and one of the things that they deal with is the question of how is the system free and they say well it's free right now because potawatomi is underwriting the the ride so okay for the first year it's going to be free because potawatomi is paying for it but here is something interesting that they write city officials have said they intend to start charging a dollar per ride for the system in the future but get this the vehicles don't have a fair collection system and the city has yet to issue a request for proposals to procure one so there's no collection box there's no procedure to to make people pay even though they don't have to pay right now but these things aren't designed at least right now for people to even have the ability to pay. Here's what the website then goes on to say. Should they ever do so, it's likely that riders still would rarely have their tickets checked. Numerous rail transit systems rely on a proof of payment system where system officials periodically board vehicles to check tickets and issue fines for noncompliance. Proof of payment is intended to be more cost-effective than paying a conductor to ride the vehicle full-time in addition to the operator. So in other words, and I guess this is something I never realized, even when they start charging, there's really not going to be a mechanism for collecting. So it's not like there's going to be an operator on there that's checking the tickets or anything like that. It's not going to be like if you ride the... If you ride the monorail, for example, in Las Vegas, they've got a monorail that that goes around up and down the strip. Well, what happens is before you can get into the area where the monorail is, 
what you have to do is you have to, you know, buy a ticket for your ride, and then there's these gates, and you have to put the ticket in, and it opens up the gate, and you go in. You can't just go up to the monorail. But, of course, this is a streetcar on a, on a public thoroughfare, so they can't have gates or anything like that. But apparently, and I guess I didn't realize this, shame on me, I never realized that there's really no mechanism that they're going to have to collect the fares, um, short of... Uh, again, maybe somebody will jump on periodically and, and walk up and down and check. So I, if that is the case, my guess is there is going to be a certain percentage of people who are never, ever going to be able to pay for this, and they will not get caught. But all right, th- this begs the larger question. This streetcar has been, of course, and will be Tom Barrett's legacy. There, there's just no question about it. And he's, I will give Mr. Barrett credit. He has been very, very upfront that this is his dream. His dream is to ultimately take this 2.1 mile streetcar line that really doesn't go too many places and extend it all throughout the city of Milwaukee. To do that, to run it out to Miller Park, to run it down to Fiserv Forum, to run it down to the airport or whatever, you are talking about hundreds of millions probably billions of dollars, you know, given the fact that this 2.1-mile streetcar line costs in the neighborhood of $100 million, not including operating costs. But that's, you know, that is what his dream is. Now, there is going to be a point in time where, I don't know if it's a couple years from now or whether it's six years from now or whatever, where Tom Barrett is not going to be the mayor of the city of Milwaukee anymore, and the Common Council, there will be a turnover. So, candidly, it's going to, I think, ultimately fall to someone else moving forward to decide if we're going to push to extend the streetcar line at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars or more throughout other parts of the city. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is now up. It is running. My guess is that there will be, at least in the first few weeks, just kind of that novelty effect that there will be people who are running and will be using the streetcar. But the question is, you know, long term, is this going to be something that is it going to be the the yuppie attraction? Is this going to attract the I don't know that the millennials? Is this going to be one of the things that turn around the city of Milwaukee that have people flocking back, or is this going to be a giant white elephant? Again, the estimates here, I think what they, they say is that, you know, ultimately they expect 1,800 daily rides on the 2.1-mile line. Are they going to get anything close to that? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1241, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, when it comes to the trolleys, and just let's look at a couple comparables. Uh, Kansas City put in a a trolley that has been free since they they launched it, and um, it it gets about 5,800 rides a day. It, It is free. Cincinnati... Um, it's been an absolute and total disaster. Cincinnati, they opened their trolley in 2016. Ridership is a fraction. I mean, ridership, when it was free in January of 2018, when uh, ridership is half in 2018, what it was in 2017, it is hemorrhaging money. The system is running at a deficit, advertising, naming rights, fair revenues, all below 
all below estimates. They're having problems keeping the cars operational. Cincinnati, I think, a pretty much complete and total failure. Fair is fair, though. Kansas City, people seem to be embracing it. How's Milwaukee's going to work? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Wesley in Dousman. Wesley, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, is this going to be a huge success? Uh, I don't think so, uh, because they based this off the San Jose uh, uh, trolley system. Right. And my daughter lived there, and every time I'd go to visit, I never saw anybody riding it. Yeah. They say, my daughter would say that uh, the only people that ride are the homeless at night. <laughs> when Right, when it gets a little bit cool because they're looking for, they're, they're just looking for some place to get warm, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah, well, I mean, here, here, here's the problem that the, the trolley has. I mean, it's got many sort of problems, but, but in Milwaukee, it's not that difficult to get around. I mean, it, it just, it just isn't. In some urban areas, you know, people don't have cars. People can't figure out where to park the cars and it's difficult. In, in Milwaukee, there, there's not that problem. I mean, I, honest to goodness, other than the novelty effect, I don't understand who's going to ride this on a regular basis. It, it's 2.1 miles. It really doesn't go anywhere. Is somebody going to walk eight blocks to jump on this thing? It just, it makes no sense to me that this is going to be a success. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I grew up in Milwaukee. I just moved out uh, to the western suburbs 10 years ago. And uh, like you said, it's not hard to get around Milwaukee. Right. You really don't need this trolley system that, it, like you said, who's going to ride it? Right. And, and where is it going to go? Now, th- thanks for the call. Now, I mean, I guess I, I, I understand if you were going to take hundreds of millions or a billion dollars or, or whatever and tear up the streets and put in a, a trolley line all over the city, well, or at least to attractions. I mean, we'll, we'll run it to Pfizer Forum. You know, we'll run it to Miller Park. Now, keep in mind that is an enormous cost. I mean, you, you are literally talking hundreds of millions of dollars to do something like that, but then at least it might go somewhere that people would want to go. But at the, at the same time, e- even then – you're, you're only going to have, it seems to me, limited usage. You're going to be cannibalizing the, the bus service because the bus service already takes people out to these different places. And at what cost? It strikes me that this is a novelty. And like I say, I, I'm sure early on, because it's free, people will say, oh, this is kind of cool. And you'll have a lot of people in the millennial will be jumping on this and saying, oh, this is great. You know, we'll, we'll go bar hopping here. But other other than that and other than the novelty effect, Who's going to ride this? And if it if it turns out that ultimately they do start charging, which they're going to have to do at some point in time in order to, to pay the operating costs, I mean, who's really going to pay for that? Because in most cases, you know, particularly anybody from outside that immediate downtown area, they're going to have to drive to get on it anyways. I mean, that's just the reality. If you live in Shorewood or you live in Wauwatosa or whatever and you decide, hey, I want to ride the hop. Well, okay, you're going to have to take an Uber or drive your car down, park it to get on the 2.1 mile trolley line. Uh, Here's a note from Chris. Jeff is a person who has used Chicago Transit Loop. It's only good if it goes somewhere useful. Places like work, the airport, a sports venue. The hop seems to me like it's going to be a glorified amusement ride. Hmm? There's something to that. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. For now, I see white elephant characteristics coming in, but since parking has gotten to be so expensive downtown for sporting events and concerts, um, if this can be somehow 
combined with like a cheaper parking option, then it might start showing signs of life. But okay, but you still you're you're still okay. So you're you're in Fox Point. Let's say you want to go to you're going to go to a Bucks game, for example. You're you're still going to have to drive downtown and park somewhere to get on the hop because they're not going to run it out to Fox Point. Yeah, but I with, for parking for the last Bucks game I, I went to a couple weeks ago, I paid twenty five bucks. Yep. Oh no, no. And, and and then it so like if I if it led some if I could go somewhere and pay like ten and then get on the hop and then go to the Fiserv, I I would seriously consider that as an option. Well, I guess I mean th- thanks for calling me. I, I think the other thing that this is running into is that the advent of this thing called Uber or 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 Lyft. Where that's how even, you know, I, I, people will say, well, millennials don't have cars or they don't want cars in the urban areas. Well, I, I'm not sure that that's really the case. But but even so, uh, let's think this through. All right. You you live, I don't know, 60th in Wisconsin, 68th in Wisconsin. You you live right there kind of on the border of Milwaukee and Wauwatosa out there. And you decide I want to come down. I, I want to go to a game or I want to go to a restaurant and then maybe we're going to bar hop a little bit. You, you still, I mean, you still have to get downtown, and that's either going to be driving or it's going to be Uber or it's going to be Lyft. And, and even so, then, even with the hop, you're, you're confined to this two-mile stretch. And, and maybe there will be bars and restaurants that kind of develop on this area where people only have to walk a block. But what if you have to walk five or six blocks or seven blocks or eight blocks, and it's January and it's 10 degrees outside I mean, are you going to walk just so you can pick up the streetcar, or are you going to just hit that app button and jump in the the Uber car and go from there? I mean, I think if this were a different city where you had a larger population base and you had a difficulty of getting around, well, then I I think, you know, the streetcar might, might ultimately have a chance for success if it went somewhere that people really wanted it to go. Right now, I just don't see that, though. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bart in West Bend. Bart, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I think this is a mistake. I've ridden the trolleys um, in a couple of cities, Buffalo, Denver, and Tacoma, Washington. And in all the places except for Denver, similar like this where they only run a couple miles, it weren't being run. In fact, I had to work on Tacoma, and I purposely rode it between 7 a.m. and 8 in the morning, and then 4 to 6 at night, hoping rush hour, 7, 9, 12 people, 3. Yeah. It was just not used. And my daughters go to Minnesota. There, that makes sense because it goes to places where people go, just like you're saying, the airport, the stadium, university. Here is the disaster. And one quick thing more. I, I researched the cost of four brand-new buses through Milwaukee County Transit System. Right. would have the same rapidity of coverage. They, they would cost about $1.3 million. This was two, three years ago, right yep. before the decision was made. And they would have provided the same rapidity of coverage right. for one seventy-seven. the cost of yep. $125 million. That made too much sense just to 10 of the 16 common council members, they voted against my idea, and they voted, voted for this goofball trolley that we're stuck with now. Right, and, and plus, talking when you're talking about, like, let's add the buses, what you do then is you have flexibility. So, all right, the, the brewers are in the playoffs at Miller Park, so people are going to be flocking to Miller Park. Okay, well, then you add extra bus lines, right? So, okay, we're going to run extra bus routes. We're going to use these buses for that instead of building a trolley line out to Miller Park, which might be great when they're in the playoffs, 
but nobody's going out there in November or December or January or February, and you're stuck with that fixed cost line that's running there. I, I agree. Rubber tired buses. If you want to, if you want to take mass transit, that's it. And let's face it: that every time you extend the streetcar, you are cannibalizing people, many people who would otherwise ride the bus. So, at, at what gain, really? Right. I agree. One last point. Um, the other thing I suggested to hopefully sell it to them, call it something fun. Call it the East Side Line. You could put local restaurants and shops signage on it. It paint a special color. You could have made this really fun. Right now, you make artificial winners and losers out of government spending. So in other words, the businesses along the streetcar, right. all things being equal, they're going to win. And the ones that are black or two off, they're going to lose. It's not a level playing field anymore. Because of government intervention. Well, no, thanks. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, they're, they're touting the idea that along the streetcar line, the property values are, are going up. But we'll, we'll see, you know, what, what that really translates into a year from now or two years from now if they're not getting these number of rides per day, specifically once they start charging. Let's talk to uh, Jen in Milwaukee. Jen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Yeah, so I, I actually live, I'm a downtown resident. Um, I live probably two blocks away from a hop stop, I guess is what they're calling it. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it, it's been, you know, the past two years, it's, it's been rough. It's been... With, know, with road construction stuff, up. yeah. Oh, absolutely. But my thoughts are, you know, as a downtown resident, I don't see myself taking it. I can walk from my house to the third ward, my house to the east side, faster than this streetcar can take me. It's slow. It, it holds up traffic. They've taken away parking lanes on multiple roads, and I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it taken off, in my personal opinion. Right. <laughs> plus, I mean, Jen, do you, do you own a car? I do own a car, and I park on the street in Milwaukee. Okay. And thankfully, my, my particular road hasn't been affected. Right. But I have friends that are on, on certain roads where the parking is just non-existent anymore. Well, so I guess... are taking away parking. Right. And putting, you know, it's... Well, see, and I guess I'm just... I, I'm wrestling with the practical effect. I mean, if you try to live in the real world... So let's say you're like you. You, you live a few blocks off the, the hop stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you want to go... I don't know that the hop, I mean, it only goes to a limited number of places. So, I mean, so are you going to walk three or four blocks? Or are you going to stand and wait 10 or 15 minutes for the thing to arrive and then right. ride it, for example, down to the area where the bus depot is and then get off and then walk another eight blocks to go wherever you're going to go? That's just not how people do things. I mean, you're, you're going to call Uber or you're going to get in your car right. or whatever. Right. You're That's absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I, I think people have just a salty taste in their mouth for, you know, this uh, the whole streetcar was built because of this new couture building, and they needed the funding. And right. you know, I, I I think it's just left a bad taste in in downtown residents' mouths. And and you know, until it takes off and we see benefits from it, I just don't right. see and, the uh, the thought process turning around. No, I agree. It takes a culture, and I agree with you. And it's not going to turn around. And I think I think it is. You know, Tom Barrett would admit it that the only way this is ultimately a success is if you're able to con the federal government. Or convince the federal government, you can use your own words, into, you know, giving us tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars more to try to extend this. But even then, the big question becomes from a cost benefit basis, is this really the best way that that money could be spent? Time will tell. I don't think even with free rides, there's any way you get to 800, 1800, uh, daily riders on this 2.1 mile line. But maybe I'll be proved wrong. I think this is, again, just a white elephant of epic proportions. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
1-800-636-1108. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have always believed that the universe has a way of, of evening things out. And it's always interesting to me to see where people end up. It, 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 it kind of hit home because I, I, with the election coming up on Tuesday, I always think back to past elections a lot of times. And, and coupled with that, the other night I was channel surfing and surfing, and I ended up watching, I don't know, one of these rock documentaries about the band Fleetwood Mac. All right, I, I like Fleetwood Mac. But one of the scenes that I remember, and if you are of a certain age, you might remember this too, election night 1992. Bill Clinton has been elected the president of the United States. And there's this huge party, and Fleetwood, it was either election night or maybe it was the inauguration. might have been the inauguration. But Bill Clinton, they're there. I guess it was the inauguration. you got Fleetwood Mac, and they're singing, and, you know, you know, don't stop believing, and everybody's dancing, and a young Chelsea Clinton and a younger Hillary Clinton, they're all dancing up there, and, and, and this is it. The world is their oyster. You know, Bill Clinton regarded as the, the premier politician of his time, uh, a guy that, you know, women wanted to be with and men wanted to be and all those types of things. And, and, and it was like that for a while. And then you had Bill Clinton, who was, you know, a guy who just essentially, since he got out of college, or maybe even before that, you know, lived to, to campaign. He lived to be loved by, by the general public. He loved to live to press the flesh and things like that. And, and this was the guy's entire life. And he'd been elected president and then he was reelected again. And, and then even after the Monica Lewinsky scandal, even after he, he left office for years and years, I mean, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton was the popular Clinton. He was the one that people loved. He was the one that, you know, if you were a Democrat and you were running for office, Bill Clinton was the guy that you wanted to parachute into your town. And he you wanted to do that rally because people would flock to see, you know, the former president of the United States because he, he had that that touch. And, and you could tell if you watched Bill Clinton that that's that's what he lived for. I mean, he lived for the adoring crowds. And I, 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 I mean, I get it. If you're going to run for the president of the United States, you, you need to have a certain ego and you need to like people and you need to be loved by, by people, or at least some of them do. And I think Bill Clinton needed to, that. It is interesting how the mighty have fallen. There is a fascinating story in the New York Times today. Headline is simple. No one wants to campaign with Bill Clinton anymore. Let me share a portion of it with you. When a Republican state legislature in, legislator in Arkansas pushed last year to rename the Bill and Hillary Clinton National Airport in Little Rock, Clark Tucker stood up for the former president. The argument was that people of Arkansas don't support the Clintons. My thought at the time was, well, the people of Arkansas voted for the Clintons eight times. But now, as the Democratic nominee in the tightest congressional race in the state, Mr. Tucker is happy for the former president and his wife to remain a plane ride away. Mr. Clinton, who was governor and attorney general of Arkansas, was once a near ubiquitous presence helping Democrats in tough races back home. But the former president hasn't been asked to appear on the trail for Mr. Tucker. There are no plans for him to do so. Or for that matter, there are no plans for Bill Clinton to appear publicly with with any Democrat running in the midterm elections. Any. Democrat. Bill Clinton has become persona non grata on the campaign trail across the country. Um, see, they apparently over the course of this midterm season, he has appeared at a handful of private fundraisers 
to benefit midterm candidates, but those would be private fundraisers. He's apparently going to be doing one. Uh, he did one Wednesday in New York City to benefit the campaign of Mike Espy, who was his former uh, agriculture secretary, who's running for the Senate in Mississippi. But but other than these private fundraisers, nobody wants Bill Clinton anymore. And it, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, some people say, well, he's just kind of yesterday's news. Um, other people say, well, he's really damaged goods because of you know all the sex scandals that apparently nobody cared about back in the 90s but in the era of the hashtag me too movement uh the the whole monica Lewinsky thing the way that was handled all the allegations of sexual misconduct etc um but nobody wants him it's interesting woman in the story i'm looking at the new york times wrote this tamika mallory who's an organizer of the women's march says i'm not sure that with all the issues he has he could be really that helpful to the candidates i think it would do the democratic party well to have bill clinton focus on his humanitarian efforts in other words um thanks mr clinton glad to see you but 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 no thanks you know it's and and i i guess i i just i'm struck by this because if if you were around during the clinton years and, and even in the aftermath and if you understood how incredibly popular clinton was bill clinton was on the campaign trail and how in demand he was and and then you see all these chickens coming home to roost and seeing how things have changed and seeing the fact that nobody, nobody wants this. It, it is interesting to kind of see. And it does make you wonder, you know, where once President Trump leaves office, you know, is President Trump right now? He's he's in very much in demand, at least on, on certain certain campaigns it does make you wonder, you know, once he leaves office, is he still going to be a draw or is Four years from now or six years from now, when another Republican candidate is running or two years from now, is Donald Trump going to be the guy that comes out and tries to raise money for him? Or is he going to get the Bill Clinton treatment? Just wondering. It's 114. When we come back. All right. The midterm elections are Tuesday. I want to talk about one specific group of voters and why you think what is going on is going on. Stick around. 114. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, following a West Coast trip last week. The Green and Gold head out to New England for a showdown under the lights at Foxborough. It's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Our coverage starts at 4 o'clock this Sunday. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Oh, here's a breaking story. Alec Baldwin, who has always had anger control issues. Actor, actor Alec Baldwin arrested Friday after allegedly punching someone in the West Village in New York City. Law enforcement sources told the New York TV station the dispute was over a parking spot. Um, 60-year-old guy duking it out in New York City over a parking spot. Huh. Stay tuned. All right. Next Tuesday is the election. A lot of stories about early voting and the, the early voting totals are are up dramatically when more people are taking advantage of early voting some people say this benefits the defend the defend the defense the democrats some people say it benefits the republicans my experience historically has been it's kind of a wash because in general the people that the people who vote early would have voted anyways it's just a, a question of voting 
um, to, to uh, again, as a matter of convenience, you vote early. I remember, you know, two years ago in the 2016 elections, you know, there was all this early voting that was going on in Madison and Milwaukee, and there were all these people who were gleeful if you were on the left saying, oh, this means that there's going to be this huge Democrat surge. Look, you've got the early voting. And at the end of the day, when they finally, you know, added all the numbers up, Voting totals were down from the last presidential election, and despite the fact that there was a lot of early voting, it really didn't amount to anything because, again, as I believe, people are going to vote or they're not going to vote. Now, I have voted early in the past. This year, we're not going to do it. Matter of fact, my wife and I, I think we're looking forward to Tuesday morning. We're going to get up. We're going to go to the polling place. You know, we're going to we're going to vote. It's just I I enjoy and I've explained this before on the radio. I kind of enjoy the the whole civic thing of of showing up and even if you have to stand in lines. You know, I I just I like going to the polling place. But we're definitely going to be voting. And I have I think I have certainly voted in every midterm and every presidential election since I was old enough to vote at the age of eighteen, and and most other elections as well but i started i was a political junkie even as a kid i don't know that that comes as a surprise and i love voting and i love everything about voting journal sentinel has an interesting piece that they just posted a little while ago on on at js online and what they did is they went out and they interviewed a number of of young people like people under the age of of 24 and they asked them if they were going to vote now I have said this before. I think that in the 20 years I have been doing this job, almost every election, I am told that this is the year there's going to be this youth quake. This is going to be the year that Gen X or millennials or whatever end up, you know, turning out and voting in mass. And that's that's what the thinking is. And it it almost it never materializes, not in those sort of, of numbers, because for whatever reasons, younger people don't vote. So this year I've been hearing old oh, people are just disenfranchised. They're, they're upset with Trump. They're motivated. They want to send a message. You're going to have the, you know, they're Bernie Sanders supporters. They believe in socialized medicine. They're going to run out. They're, they're going to do all these things. So the Journal Sentinel, uh, interesting. They go out and they interview people. Uh, let's see. Let's go through this. They talked to um, a 21-year-old woman. They asked her, um, you know, if she's going to vote. She said she didn't vote in the last election, and she's probably not going to vote in this election. Oh, they say, why? And she says, do I want to drink bleach or do I want to drink acid? In other words, she's not impressed with this. Then they ask a 19-year-old woman, are you going to vote? And she says, well, I I, I would have voted, but my wallet had been stolen, and um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get my ID replaced in time. And they ask another woman, let's see, she's 19 years old, nursing student. She says she's too busy to vote. I'm just not really interested. You have to research a lot of things, and it's a lot of work, and she's just it's hard to find time to gather information about candidates. All right, so then they ask another woman if she's going to vote, and she says she's a Jehovah's Witness, and they don't vote, so she's not going to do that. Then they ask another woman, a 20-year-old woman. Um, she said, I'm not going to vote in the midterms. Um, I have a lot to do. (laughs) Then they say, well, you know, there's absentee ballots and early voting. And she says, I don't know about much about it, about the candidates. There's just too many things to think about or to consider before making a decision like that. Then they ask uh, another woman who's at Alverno. doesn't say how old she is, but um, she says, nah, I just don't feel like it. (laughs) I just I just don't feel like it. You know, yeah, I know the election's coming up. I just don't feel like it. Uh, and, and, And that's fine. 
I, I guess. But, you know, it, it's, what was that, six or seven people, all, you know, under the age of 24, all asked if they're going to vote, and, and all of them, for a variety of reasons, say, no, they're, they're not. They're too busy. They just don't feel like it. They, they've got this excuse or, or that excuse. And, and I get it. I, I understand that that's out there. Now, that wasn't me because I was, I would, like I say, I, I couldn't wait to vote at the age of 18. But I think, I think that what you're seeing in that story that's posted online, uh, for whatever reason, bad, good, whatever, I, I think that that's the reality. And this idea that there's going to be this huge youth quake out there where you have, you know, all these young people who are going to be running to the polls, I, I don't believe it at, at all. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will we see this huge turnout uh, of younger voters motivated by, I don't know, the hashtag Me Too movement or by Bernie Sanders or, or whatever? Are we going to see this huge turnout? A- and if not, why is it that, that young people don't vote? And think about your own life. I mean, when did you start voting? When did it become real to you? Or, you know, is it real at this point? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And after we talk about the youth vote, we're going to segue into something else as well. Stick around. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Journal Sentinel has a piece posted at JS Online where they go out and they talk to a, a bunch of, actually, I think they're almost all college students, ages 19 to 21. They ask them if they're going to vote in the upcoming election. And for a variety of reasons, they all say no. <laughs> for a variety of reasons, they all, they all say they're not going to vote. And I actually believe that that's probably not atypical, that that historically that's been it. Every time that an election rolls around, people predict this is the year that young people are going to run out and vote, and that that does not turn out to be the case. Let's talk to Sam in Waukesha. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Sam. Hey, so I'm 22, and, you know, I'm political junkie myself. Mm-hmm. I voted pretty much as soon as I could. You know, I voted for whether or not my town built a new school. <laughs> okay. You, but, so you voted in a school referendum, and you that, good, that cool. My, that was my first vote that I ever did. You know, I was really happy to do it. But um, it just, you know, a lot of my friends I have, you know, late teens, early 20s, they just don't vote because... They just don't think it's going to matter at all. You know, like this thing's decided anyway. Like there's, so, there's millions of people voting. What is, what is one vote going to do? Okay. You know? So it's, it's it's you would say it's not that they're not interested or not that they're not aware. It's just, oh, it's just one vote. Why why bother taking the time to go and stand in line or something? Because it, it really, it doesn't matter. Somebody else is going to decide it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would, I would say that they're not interested and that they just use that as a cop-out more than anything else. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I okay. Well, tell me why it is that you, Sam, decided that you know you're, you're you're so dead set on voting that you're voting in on school referendums or something like that at the age of eighteen or nineteen or twenty. Um, I for me, it's uh, basically. Well, I'm just I'm a history and geography nerd as well. I just, okay. I know how many people in the world don't have the right to vote. Right. And how it's such a blessing that we can actually even do that here. Right. That. I almost see it as my civic responsibility to go do it, and I'm enthusiastic to go do it, you right. know, because it's just something that for so long throughout human history and so many people don't have the right to do, how could I not do it? Did your, par- <laughs> did your parents vote all the time? 
Oh yeah, they always yeah. voted. Like I remember going with them to their polling places. Yep. Yeah. I, no, thanks for calling. I, I I do too. I I actually think that just like with seatbelt usage, when when they go talk about seatbelts and they say, okay, you know, do, do people wear seatbelts? One of the biggest indicators as to whether you wear a seatbelt is is whether your parents wore seatbelts. You know, you just kind of get in that habit. I think voting is like that. I mean, I've told this story before. I mean, my my parents had a a ritual. My father would come home from work. We would, mom and myself and my brother, they'd load us in the car and they'd go over to the polling place and they'd leave us in the car while they went in and voted. And then they'd come out. We'd all go out to dinner. I mean, it was it was this event. You did it on almost, I mean, growing up, it just was this thing that you end up going out and you end up voting. I, I think in part it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling. Pro- well, here, I mean, here's the reality. I understand you, you start to. You start to be more concerned about voting maybe when you have more skin in the game. You know, when you're 22 years old, you're starting to think about, okay, you know, who, am I going to go out on a date? Who, you know, who am I going to meet? Where, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go, you know, for dinner on Friday night? Or where are we going to go on Saturday night? And what show are we going to see? And that type of stuff. As you get a little bit older, you start to think, okay, well, I'm, now I'm concerned about taxes because I'm, I'm thinking about buying a house or now I've got a job and gosh, I can't believe how much money they're taking out of my paycheck every week. Or I'm starting to think about, you know, a family. So now I care about the schools and that sort of stuff. That's why I think as people age a little bit, they start to, you know, gravitate and it, it becomes, they become more tuned in on the different issues and they start paying more attention to the news and tuning more into shows like this one and things of the like. So I understand this. I think it's reasonable. And until somebody proves it wrong, I'm not expecting a youthquake. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner, and WTMJ is back with our annual holiday radio show. WTMJ presents The Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinair, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee on Monday, November 26th at 6.30. The live radio play will be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can be a part of it. Buy tickets now. Go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I I assume we are not quite sold out yet or else they would have told us to stop reading that promo. You would think. So as far as we know, there are still tickets available, but my guess is there are not too many tickets available. So if you want to go, uh, do not get shut out. All right. As I said earlier, I I... I've, I've always been a political junkie as a kid. Maybe I was that nerdy kid, too. But, I mean, I, I first, I voted, you know, I mean, starting when I was 18, I, I voted, you know, in presidential elections. I voted in every presidential election. I voted, I'm pretty sure, in every midterm election. I've voted in most, uh, you know, general, nonpartisan general elections. I vote in primary elections. You know, maybe if you went back and looked at my voting record, you could find some obscure race where there was nothing on the ballot and some municipal thing, and I didn't vote. But in general, I, I am a regular voter. I am one of those people that, you know, if the pollsters were to call me up and they would ask if you are likely to vote, and one of the best ways they tell if somebody is likely to vote is if the people have voted in the past. Because if you're 45 years old and you've never voted before and you say, well, I'm likely to vote, well, it, it's true, you might be telling the truth, but, you know, oftentimes – on the other hand, if you're 45 years old and you voted in every single election since you were 18, that person is more likely to vote than the person who says they're likely to vote, but they've never voted before. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that's out there. I vote all the time. I know, though, that there are a lot of people who just decide that they are not going to vote. And this is the segment I want you to be completely, 
and totally honest with me. My intention is not to beat anybody up, but I am fascinated by this. Here is my question. If you do not intend to vote in the election next Tuesday, I would like to talk to you because I am curious as to why. Now, a lot of times when we do these segments, we're asking people, who are you going to vote for? Who did you vote for? I, I want the flip side of this. I promise I will try everything I can not to beat you up, but I am genuinely curious. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who votes all the time. If you are planning not to vote, I would like to hear from you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And don't be embarrassed about calling this the show and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to sound dumb because I'm not going to vote or whatever. No, I, I, I understand what the turnout is going to be. And the, the reality is there are a lot of people who are going to be making the decision that they are not going to vote. So my question is, if you are not going to vote, why? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Be absolutely honest. I'm curious. 414-799-1620. Uh, tell you what, let me take a very quick break, give Gru a chance to line up the calls, and we'll be back to discuss. No shame in this. I am legitimately curious. 414-799-1620. If you're planning not to vote, my question is why? 139, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we're trying something a little bit different during this segment. Whenever we talk about the elections, we, we always talk about who do you support, who are you going to vote for, do you understand why the people are voting for the other guy? I, I, I'm just, I'm genuinely curious. If you are not going to vote, and that's probably 50%, 55%, 45%, whatever, uh, of the electorate. So you're not alone. But if you're not going to vote, why? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in Watertown. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. This is Tom. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I plan to vote, and I guess the reason I'm calling is it's kind of a house divided. My wife is not so interested in voting. She does seem to have an opinion on, on the topics at hand, but claims the reason she won't vote is due to uh, just an uninformed nature of the candidates. So I guess I guess I'm just sharing that perspective from a from an apathetic standpoint. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of the, the process that we're in with with the political party systems that we have. Is it and, frustrating to you? I mean, yeah, it, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I I try my best. We, we talk about hey, this is your kind of your civic duty, and you know, I, I can respect the fact though you, you don't want to go to a poll if you're uninformed on candidates. Right. So, right. Interesting. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're not going to vote, why is that? What is the driving factor here? Let's talk to Dave downtown. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Yeah, um, I, I, the way I look at it is this. I mean, every one of them politicians, no one no one is actually out to help you. No one is. Not one of them. Not, not if they're Democrat, not if they're Republican. They're out for themselves. They're out for their own parties. Why bother to, to you pick? You can close your eyes and reach into the toilet bowl, and no matter what, you're going to grab a turd. <laughs> hey, you know, Dave, you're. It's, I'm always interested. You're more cynical than I am. You, so you, you just, you think, in, in essence, they're all a bunch of crooks. There's no difference, regardless of who I vote for. So a pox on all their houses. It's hard to believe, but I think we have one of the most crooked governments in the in the, in the world. Hmm. So you. 
I mean, you're kind of convinced, and I, I promised I wasn't going to beat people up when they call, so I'm not All trying right. to do that. But I mean, so you're just kind of convinced that there's there's no difference. There's really at at its core, there's no difference between the different candidates. They're all the same. Well, okay. When was the last time you think one of these candidates pumped their own gas or had to worry about if their kids were going to get a meal that night or if their electricity was going to get shut off or if you know you know they're working four part time jobs, mm-hmm. you know, to try to just make ends meet to pay their rent. I mean, they, they don't care about it. No, no one cares about it. really. They care about your vote. They care about your money. They care about you. They don't. They care about me. They don't. They say they do. They don't. They really don't. Good enough. Thanks for the call, David. I got it. I, I, Dave's more cynical than I am, and I promised I, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to beat him up, but I mean, I, I maybe there's this. I guess there are people out there like Dave who are just look. They're all crooks. I, I'm just. It is a way a waste of time. It's a waste of vote. The these are you know this is what it is. It's not going to make any difference. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If if you're not going to vote, I am legitimately curious as as to why you. I mean, you have there's there some countries where you're you're like required to vote, and and I I don't believe in that. I I just don't. I mean, I I think that along with the right to vote comes the right not to vote. So if you don't want to vote, that's up to you. I, I think that's your business. I am just legitimately curious as to why that would be the case. Lucy on the West Side. Lucy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Like I told your screener, I'm, I vote. I've voted in every election since 1968. I'm a political junkie like you are. Hubert Humphrey or Richard Nixon? Who'd you vote for in 68? Eugene McCarthy. Eugene McCarthy. Got it. Okay. Haven't changed much since. Either. Got it. Okay. So, so naturally, I am canvassing my neighborhood, and I've run into two people who told me they absolutely won't vote. One of them said that she used to believe that voting would bring change, put everything she had into the 2008 campaign for Obama, but now she's convinced that the oligarchs all own the world and that voting is a sham and nothing can change. And I talked myself blue in the face trying to say, yeah, but health care is on the ballot. Health care is on the ballot. Couldn't convince her. Um, that was number one. Number two, two young people who took the position that your previous caller did, they're all crooks. Hmm. It's not going to make any difference about, at all. The guy that told you about reaching into the toilet bowl. You're right, yeah. <laughs> this, this was an apolitic. The first one was very political and really well thought out. I didn't agree with her, but she had seriously thought about it um, and turned against ever voting. The other was just, you know, right. simple. <laughs> Okay, so that's what I know from the field. Good enough. Thanks for the call, Lucy. 414-799-1620. It's just, and and again, as I said a minute ago, I think think that if you don't want to vote, that's your right. I mean, I just, and I I would be the last one to, you know, abuse it. If if for whatever reason you decide that I just, I'm too busy, I'm not informed enough, a pox on all their houses or, or whatever, and you decide not to vote, I, I think that, I mean, that that is your right to do it. And I understand from the perspective of sometimes the candidate, one of the things that's interesting to me is, is a lot of times people will say that the candidates don't speak to me. I, I just, I can't relate to them. They can't relate to me. It, it's all the same. Part of that, I, I think, does, though, it, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because if you are a candidate running for office, one of the your your ultimate currency is it's your time. 
You know, and you have to figure out, how am I going to win this election? How am I going to get the 50% of the votes plus one that I need to win? And so you try to figure out, okay, where are the votes? And for young people in particular who say, I, I don't, they're talking about health care. I don't care about health care. I'm 18 years old. Or they're, they're not talking about the issues I care about, student debt or whatever. Part of that is because, again, the candidates concentrate their efforts on trying to figure out what can I do to move the needle? How can I get these voters to turn out and do this or that or, or the other thing? And if you look at, at a group collectively and say, well, um, if I'm talking to people 65 and older who are, are plugged in and really care about health care and their Social Security and this issue and that issue, uh, and, and they're going to vote, this age group is going to vote, 75% of them are going to vote. Or I could be talking to you know a group of college kids where even if I try to you know, talk about issues that they care about, I'll be lucky to get one in four that decides they're going to vote. So what, what you do is you see the message start to get tailored in that particular fashion. And I, I just don't know, don't know, you know, wh- what the dynamic is that moves the needle. Here's a text. As I've just recently said, um, I have no idea where to go to vote. It's a lot of work getting all that straightened back out, so I will likely not be voting this time. Well, I mean, um, you know, City Hall, call your local City Hall. I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll be able to help you. Let's talk to Greg in Milwaukee. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I'm just tickled at, like, everybody is just at each other's throats. Why would you vote? It's like, oh, you're voting for them? Oh, now you're evil. Oh, you're voting for the other side? Now you're evil. Like, there's no right answer. There's no, like, actual political answer. That you're either the good guy to half the people or the other half. You're, or you're the bad guy to either half. So you, you just kind of wash your hand. You're kind of disgusted by the whole thing and are sort of washing your hands of it. Yeah, it's just like a giant shred now. It's like, nobody's caring about making the world a better place. It's just, okay. oh, it's all political safety. Uh, disillusioned. Okay, thanks for the call, Greg. And again, I promise I wasn't going to beat people up. I'm legitimately curious. Paul in Slinger. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm uh, well, thank you. Uh-huh. Well, my belief is since I was able to vote, since I was 18, I'm a veteran. And on every level of political government from the ground floor up, I believe they are all cheaters, liars. They're crooked. And I just won't put my endorsement behind any one of them. For any reason, I don't, from the president on down, I mean, at some point in their life, during their political career, I know for a fact that they've lied, and half of them you see in the news for doing something corrupt. And pa- Paul, have you have you ever voted? Negative. Never. Okay. Can, can I ask you, how old are you? I'm four, uh, 55. <laughs> okay. So, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, lost those 10 years. I, I get those 10 years go by quick. Okay. Yeah. So, you are 55 years old. You have never, ever voted in your life. That is correct. Huh. Um, does it, I, I understand, you know, what you said, but I guess my question is, does it bother you then that you, you are not part of the process? If something, goes on, some candidate that you particularly don't like or something ends up getting elected. Does it bother you at all that you you took no part in in trying to stop that person from getting elected or or support the guy that you liked, or do you just think that all these candidates are the same? Absolutely. I have no regrets whatsoever because, like I mentioned, I'm not going to endorse somebody who I feel is corrupt and or a liar. Mm-hmm. This is my belief, and it's I mean, if you look through 
the history of politics, almost every one of them is from the ground floor up. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Um, I, you, you know, it's it's kind of, and, and here, here's here's my kind of response to that is that, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who's been on the periphery of politics for most of of his adult life. There are there are corrupt, sleazy people who somehow manage to get themselves elected to office. And I say that about people on the left and people on the right. All right. That that's there's there's no I, I think that there's no one political party that has a lock on virtue or lack of virtue. I, I will say, at the other hand, that there are a number of people on both sides of the aisle who I have had a chance to come into contact with over the years who I think are good, decent people who are there in politics because they want to make a difference and they're trying to do what's right. And that doesn't necessarily mean they agree. Their their vision of what's right is the same as what mine is. But I, I don't consider them to be crooks. I don't consider them to be sleazy. I, sometimes I consider them to be misguided, mind you. And I, I hope maybe, you know, I hope when they hear me talk about issues that we disagree with, they say, okay, well, he's misguided, he's wrong, but he's basically a decent guy. He's just wrong on this issue or that issue or, or whatever. So I'm reluctant to say, okay, everybody who chooses, who chooses to want to get involved in politics on whatever level, well, just throw a blanket over them all and, and they're all this type of person. But I do understand that that's, that's out there and you've heard several calls that are like that. As for me, I haven't voted yet, but I am definitely Going to go out and vote come uh, next Tuesday. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 156. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A roller coaster week on Wall Street. Is it likely to be this like this for the remainder of 2018? John Mercure discusses how it impacts your 401k at 434. Tune in to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. I am not surprised this happened. I am only surprised that it took this long for it to happen. Grew, do you watch Thursday night football? Yeah. Most times. Did you watch the game last night? San Francisco crushed Oakland. All right. So San Francisco and Oakland, which are two just really, really bad teams. I mean, the one was one and seven, one was one and six. San Francisco crushes Oakland. All right. But before that, actually, the, the most newsworthy thing that perhaps came out of it, before that, they had the national anthem. And as we've been talking about for two years now, you've got this controversy about some of the football players who want to kneel. Well, the controversy last night wasn't football players kneeling. It was one of the cheerleaders. One of the San Francisco cheerleaders decided to take a knee during the national anthem. And and somebody caught it, took a screenshot of it, and now it has gone viral. All the other cheerleaders are standing up during the national anthem she is sitting down. They haven't been able to identify her yet, at least uh, when I when I last checked this, when I last did a search about 45 minutes ago, they still didn't have her name. But but she ended up taking a knee. And so now this issue, again, kind of comes front and center. Uh, I will be curious to see what happens because San Francisco is, of course, where the whole thing started with Colin Kaepernick. Um, it'll be interesting to see because the cheerleaders – they don't have the union protections that, that the players do. And the NFL is kind of limited as to what it can do to discipline the players because you've got the collective bargaining agreements like that. The, these cheerleaders, I doubt that they have any sort such protections. So now the question becomes, is San Francisco going to do something about the cheerleader? Will the NFL push to do something about the cheerleader? And, and what will happen then? 
bottom line is, and it's just, again, this, this shows how badly the NFL has mishandled this whole thing. This was something that was predictable. And now if you, if you allow this to happen, my guess is you're going to have individual cheerleaders that are going to be taking a knee as well. And this story is going to be back out front and center. What will they do? Stay tuned. It's 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Congressman Glenn Grothman. We're going to talk about the election next Tuesday. Stick around. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As we've been talking about, Tuesday is the day of the midterm elections. A number of people have voted already, but a number of people are going to be deciding over this weekend and then getting out to vote. We are joined in the studio by an old friend of mine. We go back to our high school days. He is the congressman from this area, Glenn Grothman. Congressman, good afternoon. Right. Glad to be here, Jeff. <laughs> Who would have thought? We used to uh, debate each other on the high school debate. Teams. You're a Homestead graduate. I'm a Nicolet graduate. That's exactly yeah. right. So That's I'm a it. Homestead guy from quite a while ago. Um, for, for people who might be unfamiliar, your, your, your congressional district runs from where to where? Well, it's uh, essentially all of 10 counties, Ozaki, Sheboygan, Fond du Lac, and the northern half of Dodge in your area it goes all the way over to Wisconsin Dells, and it goes north uh, on the other side of Lake Winnebago up to Nina Menasha and along Lake Michigan north of Two Rivers. Um, as you look back on your career in Congress, what are some of the things that you're proudest of, some of your proudest accomplishments? Well, uh, first of all, when I ran, I ran on returning local control to local school districts, and I not only got myself on the education committee, but on the conference committee that put together what they call a student success act, but in any event, greatly getting uh, the federal government, not all the way, but greatly reducing the role of the federal government in local schools. Um, I did a lot towards pushing through the House, a bill greatly reducing Dodd-Frank. And if you know any pretty small bankers, you know all the people who couldn't get loans or how much more it cost to get a loan than before Obama became president. I think on the tax bill, I waited for the average guy. Um, I was not always a politician. I used to be a small-town lawyer and did some income taxes. And I think compared to the original Republican bill, I did more to make sure it... It was good for the average guy. A lot of Republicans wanted to get rid of the medical deduction, and I think I was outspoken as anybody to make sure we uh, we held on to the medical deduction. Um, we have encouraged Donald Trump to uh, weigh in on, on pro-life issues, and I think I've been one of the, the leaders there. And, you know, Donald Trump has very done a very good job on those issues. I like to feel I'm part of that. As we look forward, um, if you are reelected next Tuesday, what are some of the things that you'd like to accomplish over the course of the next couple of years? Well, I ran on the welfare system. Right now, our welfare system is discouraging people from working and discouraging people from getting married. I think I've been outspoken on that as anybody in Congress, the degree to which now when other congressmen talk about the marriage penalty, they say, you know, you must have been talking to Glenn Grothman. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to be able to get something done there. On the immigration law, um, it's apparent we still have an open border situation here way too much. I would like to see changes in the immigration law. I know it's something that Donald Trump wants to do. Our budget is out of line. I have tried to rein in spending, but have not been as successful there as I'd like. And uh, hopefully the next year's budget will be more responsible than last year's budget and health care. I mean, that's unquestionably a big issue. Um, I voted twice to repeal Obamacare. I voted twice to retain coverage for pre-existing conditions, but we didn't get it done because we couldn't get out of the Senate. And I assume we're going to take another crack at that in the fall as well, or in on, the spring as well. On, on that point, it, it seems like almost every election, there 
going back as long as I can remember, there, there have always been sort of generic ads that Democrats run against Republicans. For years and years, it was going to be Republicans want to eliminate Social Security and things like that. Th- this year, it's pre-existing conditions. And it seems to me this is the generic thing. Republicans, they want to repeal Obamacare. And if you have diabetes, you're not going to get covered. It's, it's very frustrating, Jeff, because we knew that in Washington. And that's why... When we voted to repeal Obamacare, we retained coverage for pre-existing conditions, all pre-existing conditions, be it diabetes, heart problems, cancer, whatever. And uh, so we took that vote, and both votes were taken um, before it failed in the Senate, so a little over a year ago. And the Democrats were all prepared for us to exempt pre-existing conditions, so they're running the ads anyway. It's like you vote one way, and the Democrats said, well, we don't care how they vote, we'll just say something else. And it's not just me in Wisconsin. And, of course, I have a very challenging race because of all the wealth of my opponent. Uh, but throughout country, the country, when I talk to my other colleagues in Michigan and Illinois and Minnesota, they're running the same ads, right. despite the how they voted. Right. Well, I, I was in Las Vegas so a week and a half ago, and I'm, I'm watching the TV ads, and that was the same sort of almost a generic ad. You could put in whatever name. They want to eliminate preexisting conditions. So, so Glenn, you're on the record right now. I mean, as, as long as you are serving in Congress and voting, you are committed to preserving coverage for people who have pre-existing medical conditions. Absolutely, and that's the way we voted in the past, twice. So, and I assume we're going to take another crack at repealing Obamacare sometime in the spring. Now, like I said, it's a difficult thing. My opponent has a lot of wealth. He put another half million dollars of his own money in uh, in October. Nancy Pelosi used her pack to buy three hundred thousand dollars worth of green bay tv a couple weeks ago and when you have this washington money coming in or my my opponent who had connections with a, a lobbying group in washington formed with george soros when he uses those connections to raise money out of florida new york california he's got all this wealth um it's scary because quite frankly if it, it's scary having that much wealth regardless and then to use that money for a lying campaign is a is a difficult thing let's talk about immigration reform i I think there's a number of us who believe that over the last two years there was kind of a missed opportunity perhaps to try to make some meaningful reform where do you see that going well i uh i happen to you know you don't get to see donald trump every day or even every month or every six months but i happen to be sitting in a room in which he badly wanted to take up immigration reform after the first of the year. He felt the Republicans with 51 seats did not have enough to get done what he wanted to do. Um, we right now swear in over 700,000 new citizens a year. I don't think that's something to be embarrassed about or saying we're not let, letting enough people in this country. 700,000 is, is a lot of new people every year. But we have to make sure, to me, that people with criminal records are not coming in here. People are going to take advantage of our welfare system are not coming in here. And I've introduced a bill on that that's received national coverage in the Weekly Standard. Uh, we have to make sure we get people here. They are people who are going to be hardworking. And because uh, we need those people. And wherever you go in our country, it's not just on the farms and the factories everywhere. We have labor shortages. Um, but I think that's what we're going to restrict things to. And we're going to be much more aggressive about kicking out people who are not an asset to our country. It's 2.14. We're talking to Congressman Glenn Grothman. Congressman, what, one of the big issues that's been in the news over the course of the last, I don't know, week, two weeks, has been the, the caravan of people moving towards the border, presumably seeking asylum if they reach the border. I know the president's talked a lot about this. Where does this go and what should happen? Well, we've got to make sure they don't come across the border. I mean, it's just that simple. 
and I'm afraid that the United States could become like Europe in which they have so little self-confidence in themselves that they just feel they have to take everybody who comes here. And let's, let's look at it this way. If we accept these 7,000 people, six months from now, it'll be 70,000 people. And five years from now, it'll be 7 million people. Like I said, not everybody has to come to the United States. Okay, there are, I think, 196, 197 countries in the world. People come here from Honduras. They're coming through Guatemala. They could have stopped there. They're coming through Mexico. They could have stopped there. Instead, they feel they have to come to the United States. And, again, we don't have to apologize for swearing in 700,000 people a year. We have to apologize for all the work visas or tourist visas or visas related to education that we give out already. That's fine. But we don't, we certainly should not say the new people we take are, are breaking the law to come here. Congressman, when you are out and about in your district, and, and I know you work extremely hard in going out to, whether it's the, the, the pancake breakfasts or the, the Kiwanis clubs or things like that, what, what would you say are the top issues that you hear about from your constituents? Well, people bring up health care, because right now it's a very scary thing, particularly older people buying their own. When I bring it up, they all have anecdotes on the welfare system and people who are abusing the system. And they are concerned about immigration because they shouldn't have to be concerned about it. If you had a president who was enforcing the borders, you wouldn't have to worry about it. But the fact remains, for a long time, we haven't dealt with it. And they know that people are coming across the border abusing the system. The One of the dynamics that, that makes... Uh, historically, midterm elections have not gone well for the party who's uh, who holds the presidency. This is, of course... Uh, we're on uncharted territory because of the volatility and also because of, you know, general reactions to, to President Trump. Do, how do you think the Trump presidency is going to play out in your election and in other elections across the state? The economy is doing very well. And when you look at those statistics about parties doing very poorly uh, two years after the party uh, changes, sometimes it's been affected by a bad, bad economy. Mm-hmm. People forget that two years into the Reagan administration, the economy was horrible, which is why the Republicans lost 50 seats in the House. Um, right now, the economy is doing well. We got more good news on the economic front today. So you would think, both on a national and a state level, with the state of Wisconsin doing so well, the party in control should be rewarded. Unfortunately, uh, we have a little bit of a problem here. Um, I have worked with Donald Trump. He's doing such a great job uh, improving the business climate. I think some of his tweets hurt him a little bit and is probably hurting us a little bit in the election. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, are still angry that Hillary Clinton didn't win, and they're going to be out there. Um, and my my opponent has close ties with that group. You know, my opponent was a bundler for Hillary Clinton. So I think for those reasons, it's going to be more of a challenge. Um, the fact that they lost by so little riled them up, and we've got to get the conservatives or just the people who wanted a good economy, period, riled up to show up at the polls as well. That's one of my challenges in this election. You know, people say, oh, you know, things are going well. And it's easy when things are going well to be complacent. But I've got to tell people, you know, vote. Get your kids out to vote. Get people you know from work to get out to vote. Your next-door neighbors and that sort of thing. Otherwise, this kind of, what I would say, uh, it causes disproportionate uh, power with kind of this angry minority. If, if... You were to be reelected, but when you go back next year, you find that the Republicans are now in the minority, and Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. 
But what's that going to be like, and what's what's it going to look like? Well, regardless, I think the Republicans have not done a good enough job of explaining why this country is great. And rather than scrambling and putting out all these ads a month before the election, we have to educate the public, including the young people, on the difference between a free market economy and socialism, because the young people don't understand it. We have to educate the public what a wonderful place this country is for everybody, because the... the, uh, uh, some of the mainstream media and certainly our education system is educating people. We have this horrible, racist, sexist society, which is a little bit ridiculous on its face, given the whole rest of the world seems to want to come here. I, I do feel if we lose the majority, we have to spend the next year or year and a half explaining to the public why our free market conservative values are what made this country great and why we have to protect them rather than listening to the Bernie Sanders sorts who, despite our booming economy and despite the whole world coming here, feel we have to fundamentally change America. I mean, think about it. Again, the whole world wants to come here, and there are people like Bernie Sanders or the George Soros crowd, the the guy running for governor in Florida, who think America has to be fundamentally be changed. How can you look at what we have and say we have to have fundamental change? But that's what they want. We're going to miss Paul Ryan. You're going to miss Paul Ryan in Congress? Um, he's such a nice guy, and he's so well-grounded. He's so close to his family. Uh, it, it's nice having somebody around there who is so firmly grounded, and it'll be, it'll be sad when he goes. Congressman Glenn Grothman, where are you going to be on election night? Um, we're going to be at the Knights of Columbus Hall in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Fond du Lac, okay. Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, the Knights of Columbus Hall. Absolutely. I know there are a lot of other victory parties that night, but... Stop by. <laughs> That's it. Well, Congressman, as we said at the beginning, we have known each other for decades and decades. I wish you the very best of luck, and I appreciate you stopping by this afternoon. Thanks much, Jeff. You betcha. Congressman Glenn Grothman, it's 221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, yeah, that's Congressman Glenn Grothman. We go back a long time. And uh, he's, he's always, I, I think, got an interesting take on things and an interesting candor and uh he had asked for an opportunity to come in and i was glad to give him that opportunity you know we'll we'll be talking a little bit on monday as well and perhaps tuesday about the election as well but there's this is now kind of the the crunch time and it's also the time where you start to see you know candidates acting out in 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 somewhat desperation you you heard we talked a little bit about this yesterday there were these allegations against brian style who's running as the republican uh against randy bryce and there were these allegations that it, of, of anti-semitism it was stuff that was just really i thought i thought kind of beyond the pale but now's this time where I, and this would be my advice that i would give you over the course of the next couple of days and i understand that everybody is now getting to this point where you are sick of the ads. You're sick of turning on the radio and hearing all the ads from the candidates. You're sick of turning on the television and not being able to watch a show without having to go through all these different advertisements. And and, and one of the things that you start to see with a couple days left is as people try to, you know, break through and convince the, the undecided voter, if there really legitimately are undecided voters out there, but convince somebody who's undecided and actually might vote that to get him actually to get out, get out and vote at the polls. Well, what happens is you get the, these even more over the top sort of ads. And over the course of the last couple of days, I I've seen a whole lot of those just completely and totally over the top. And I, I sit there and I say, gee, I've known, 
I've known Leah Vukmir for, for years and years, and I agree with her on most stuff. I don't necessarily agree with her on everything, but this is not the Leah Vukmir, for example, that, that I have known for all all these years. Or, you know, things, maybe it's stuff that people say about Glenn Grothman or these, these other candidates, or Scott Walker, the, the greatest example of this. You see, all, you know, all this incredible negative advertising, and I guess my, my advice would be, and it applies to perhaps both sides, especially over the last couple days. If you are legitimately undecided and you see one of these over-the-top ads, either way, my advice would be take it with a large grain of salt. It's 226. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 234. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Following a West Coast trip last week, the green and gold, that would be the Packers, head out to New England for a showdown under the lights in Foxborough. It's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers against Tom Brady. And the Patriots, our coverage starts at 4 o'clock this Sunday. It is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Okay, we do this this time of the week. We put away the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about politics and elections and who said what. And we have a little bit of fun to go gently into the good weekend. Um, I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. We've been doing it for a long time. We talk about different things on, on given weeks. Sometimes we talk movies, sometimes books, sometimes TV, sometimes restaurants. It, it just it depends about sometimes sports. Depends on something that's in the news that kind of tickles my fancy that I hope will will tickle yours as well. As I was trying to figure out Pop Culture Corner this week, I, I was motivated by a couple things. First of all, Pfizer Forum has been announcing just an incredible lineup of, of bands that they are booking. Uh, they announced that Kiss is coming. They announced that Bob Seger's farewell tour is going to be here. That was just yesterday or, or two days ago. So you got all these those different announcements. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about my recently completed travels. A couple weeks ago, we did our, our, our listener cruise um, across the, the Danube River, and we uh, down the Danube, and, and what we did is we – the group, we, we flew from Chicago to, um, Budapest, Hungary. And then, you know, coming back, we flew from Munich back to Chicago. Those are long airplane flights. It's worth it to go that, but that's one of the, that is one of the things you got to be prepared for long airplane flights. And one of the thing, and then a week later, you know, I, I, I went, to, my brother and I went to Las Vegas and that's, it's nothing compared to flying from Munich to, to Chicago, but it's still you know, a few hour airplane flights. One of the, there's two ways I pass time on the airplanes. One is I take along paperback books. Yes, I still read paperback books, not the, the Kindles. Um, and also I take along my MP3 player. Now I'm kind of old school. I, even though I have a bunch of music on my phone, I, I bring along my iPod. And so I have my headphones and particularly on a, a transatlantic flight, you, you've got a lot of time. And so I have my iPod with my 8,000 songs or whatever and all these different albums. And I, I sit there and I, I listen to music. I listen to a lot of music. And one of the things that I find myself doing, and I, I have like a vast music library. I, I do because I, I love love tunes and things like that. But one of the things that I noticed is is even with hours and hours and hours and hours to kill, I'm, I'm listening to all this different music, but I, I keep coming back to – some of the same albums over and over again. So here you have nothing but time, and you know, so you have a chance to listen to a variety of stuff. But I find myself gravitating towards, you know, just just a handful of the music that that ends up being my go-to tunes. So I thought for Pop Culture Corner this week, and I, I've been thinking about what my go-to tunes were. You know, what 
what what that one album was that I end up listening to more often than any. And because I had to go through that thought process and kind of experience that over the course of the last couple of weeks, I think it would be fun to tee that up. So here's what we're going to talk about Pop Culture Corner this week. The album. And again, I understand album is sort of an antiquated term, but you know what I mean. The album, the, the CD, the record of your life, the record that if you had the choice, you're on that transatlantic flight, you're in the plane on Lufthansa for nine hours, and you've only got one record that you can listen to, one album that you're going to have to listen to over and over again. What is that album? The tune that's the album that you never get tired of. And maybe it's because there's just one song on that album that you absolutely love, but you're willing to listen to the whole album. Maybe the entire album is just incredible. There's one great song after another. I don't know. You can define it for however you want. But for Pop Culture Corner this week, it's your favorite album, the album that you could listen to all the time, over and over again. If you've got one album to bring on that transatlantic flight, what is that record going to be? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And as we always say during these segments, our phone lines tend to jam up. So please call early. I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can. And don't overthink. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, if I say that, will that sound silly? No, the, the idea, the fun of this is, you know, just go with your first instinct. Oh, gosh, I know what he's talking about. That's the, This is the record that I'm going to be listening to all the time. I do it already. My wife gets sick of it. She can't believe I'm still playing this. 414-799-1620, Pop Culture Corner, the the album that you could listen to or maybe do listen to over and over and over again and never get sick of. All right, Gru is lining up the phone calls we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 239, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is going to be fun. I, there was a pent-up demand for this. Our text line has literally exploded. Uh, let's see, Dan and Kenosha, Green Day, American Idiot. I... Um, you know, that, that's the time of our lives. That song is on that. That's the one that we play every year. Uh, it's my the last song of the year that I always end up playing. I hope you had the time of your life. Almond Brothers, Eat a Peach. Uh, Courtney says, Bat Out of Hell. I was actually, um, I was listening to a couple songs off of that album just the other day. Um, uh, Meatloaf, interesting guy, but a great tune. 414, great record. 414 799 Let's see. Let's start with, let's go to Kewaskum. Dave and Kewaskum. Dave, good afternoon. Hey, hello. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Okay, the, your favorite, your, okay, the, the one record that you just never get tired of. Uh, it'd be the Queen, Made mm-hmm. in Heaven. Okay. I uh, have all the Queen albums, and uh, that was my favorite one, and it was actually their last one they did. Right. You know, um, are you going to are you going to see the new movie? I think it debuts tonight. The Bohemian Bohemian it Rhapsody. Does. Yeah, it, it does. But I'm going to wait till uh, November 24th because that's the anniversary of Freddie Mercury's uh, when he died. Ninety-one. Oh. So, okay, so you're going to wait a couple of weeks, huh? Interesting. Yeah. That's going to be your way of paying tribute. All right. Now, thanks. Oh, for, yeah. I, I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a Queen fan as well. I, I I've read I've read mixed reviews about the movie, but I think it's probably. I think it's probably fun. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see Terry in Appleton. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. You know, uh, you know, every album that everybody said, I, I love them all. I'm like you. I got a vast majority, and and I did build a premiere of Bohemian Rhapsody yesterday, and I would and I would I would tell everybody it's phenomenal. Okay, it's worth. Okay, good. Because I've, I've seen so so reviews of it, but it's worth going to, huh? 
It, it, it was it was fantastic. My, my, my album is uh, is Rain on the Scarecrow by John Mellencamp. Right, right. A lot of great tunes in that. That's a, you know, I I mean that I think that's by far and away his best album. To tell you the truth, um, I, I just every song on that album is pretty much a winner. That's correct. You know, I, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of his, you know, early on years, but then I saw him in concert and he was just phenomenal and. And I love the album. Got it. Thanks for the call. You can't go wrong with the, that, especially that era, John Mellencamp. Lori in Menominee Falls. Lori, or WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay, the one album you never get tired of. I bet you nobody will ever call and say this again. <laughs> um, but it's Linda Ronstadt's um, album that she did with the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. Okay. Um, I think it's What's New is one of the songs on it. I just put it on and I belt my lungs out and it makes me happy. Is it now I you know, I have to confess, I, I have I have a lot of Linda Ronstadt albums, you know, especially from like the, the early days and stuff. Um where I mean she what an incredible voice and stuff. Yeah. It, it, what, is she singing the standards? Is that was was that what yep. this album is? Kind of like the forties ish, fifties ish standards, the older songs, the really yeah. good older songs. So Yeah. Yeah, it's a great album. You should check it out. Okay, well, no, th- thanks. I'm again. I'm, I'm a huge thanks. I'm a huge Linda Ronstadt fan, and like I say, I probably have at least half a dozen, maybe more, from you know from the the '70s and stuff. You know, she wasn't a songwriter in her own right, but she did just incredible covers of of other people's songs. Um, it just just an amazing, an amazing voice, and um, at, at the risk of being you know, labeled a misogynist or something, just a spectacular-looking woman as well back in that. I mean, everybody in the 70s, everybody had a crush on Linda Ronstadt. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Sue in Oak Creek. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, you're the one album you never get tired of. John Denver's Greatest Hits. Okay. Were you a big John Denver fan? Oh, my gosh. I would play that back in the 70s when it came out. I went to a couple of his concerts. I sing through that whole album, and I still play it today. Rocky Mountain High, that's Annie's song, all sorts of great tunes. Take Me Home, Country Road. Right. Oh, right. love it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and actually, I mean, John Denver... You know, John Denver was well, kind of out of step, maybe in some respects. That the music he was making was maybe out of step with, you know, a lot of the the songs and the bands that were playing in the seventies. But they, they were it was they were incredibly good pop tunes, and they're catchy, and they're hummable, and they're singable. And I understand exactly why she's talking about that. Adam in Waukesha. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good afternoon, boys. This is exciting. Uh, brief. <laughs> Story: My daughter is 15 years ago. She had a boyfriend, a brainiac. He works for Google now, and he extracted the soundtrack from a video game called Vietnam Battlefield. Okay, and it, it, it so it's a compilation of genre from when the war began to when did we get out? 69 or 70 or whatever. 71. Yeah, 73, and close reality. Yeah. The zombies, the doors, Jefferson oh. Airplane. All it is, it is just amazing. And I listened to it constantly. It's in stereo. I don't know how he did it, but he, he ripped me a CD or DVD of it, and I now I got it saved. Oh, really? No, well, um, you know, I mean, that, those were, I mean, thanks for the, those were incredible times. And I'm not, of course, familiar with what you're talking about, but, but I mean, you, you go to some of the soundtracks of the movies that, I mean, Platoon would be one. You, you, some of the, the soundtracks of the movies, there, there was a lot of great music being, that was coming out, you know, the, the protest songs 
and the, just the evolution of tunes back in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, and, and you, you had some of band, the bands, including bands that are still around today, that were just at their creative height. Uh, it was just an amazing time. Now you can say that about a lot of eras, but that was, that was a special time. 414-799-1620. Chris in Chicago. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, my pick is the very first Boston album from 1976. That was self-titled, right? That was Boston. It was, yeah. it was called Boston, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Uh, all the songs on there. I mean, I, I believe every single one of them has been played on the radio. Uh, from more than a feeling to smoke into a rock and roll band to right. hitch a ride, all of them. So that's, that's what I pick. Yeah, rock and roll band is one of my all time favorite songs. By the way, <laughs> just I mean, it's just it's just one of those songs that makes you want to dance in your chair. <laughs> so no, no, <laughs> yes, th- it does. no, thanks. No, I love I love love Boston. That, these are all such great songs. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let me go back to uh, getting all these texts of. All these texts from different things. U2's Joshua Tree had more hits than any album I've ever listened to. All right, that's a good one. Uh, let's see here. Frank Sinatra live at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Eagles Hotel California. Um, he says, yes, I was at the Milwaukee concert two weeks ago. Let's see. Uh, U2 Achung Baby. Um, it rocks and can be delicate, as most of the U2 stuff would be. Here's another one, Frank and Vernon. He's with uh, our previous caller. It says, John Denver's greatest hits. Uh, let's see. Well, here's one. Kevin, I'm surprised we haven't any calls about this. Uh, Kevin says, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Every song is a hit record. Um, born in the... I, I would actually... I, I don't disagree with that. I actually think Born to Run. Um, I, I... You know, that's another one that... It's, it would be in my top five. Born to Run by, by Springsteen would definitely be in my top five, and in part because of the song Born to Run, which I think is one of the greatest rock songs ever. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Dave in Johnson Creek. Hi, Dave. Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Paul and Oates, abandoned luncheonette, because it reminds me of college, <laughs> and you can sing to it. Yeah. What? what okay, what would, I'm, I, I'm trying to, I, I'm not. I'm kind of blanking on on that particular album. What What would be the best known song on that on that album? I think she's gone. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Hall. Yeah. I sing it, but I I break the radio. Right. No. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That's it. We 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 have this we have this rule. It served me well for twenty three years in this market, full or part time, which is that I I don't. Every once in a while, I'm almost inclined to do it, but in general, I don't sing on the radio. 414-799-1620. Bill in Greenfield. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, this is a different kind of a source, but uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. All right. Well, you know, matter of fact, well, right. uh, Matter of fact, a number of people, I have at least probably about a half dozen texts from people who are saying Dark Side of the Moon. Why, Why that Pink Floyd record and what about it makes it so special to you? Well, I was a child of the later seventies, early eighties, and uh, you know, it just it just hit a hit a time and a point where you would just put it on and relax, and uh, it was yeah. different at the at the time, and it uh, yeah, it just hit that spot. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, thanks. I mean, it's and and of course, Pink Floyd was just incredible, incredibly big as a as a traveling band and all that. Uh, no question about it. Chris in Green Bay, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, uh, I have to say, I think somebody sent it in a text too, but it was it was the Frank Sinatra, uh, the main event, right, seventy four live, right, and that that was one of his kind of comeback things, right, yep, that, in Madison was. Square Garden, yeah, yep, 
Yeah. Yep. Fantastic. It just brings. It's just. I mean, it was before my time, but it's just, right. it's just amazing. Well, I, I was I was watching a documentary on Frank Sinatra on Netflix the other night, and that they they were showing as part of the documentary, they were showing some of the filming of of that, and they were talking about how he was making the comeback and all, and how you know his voice wasn't the same as it was in in the fifties and stuff, but how he still. He, he knew how to use his voice and he knew how to work those songs. And, and you never, you, I'm sorry, I don't care if you're a rock and roller or, you know, a punk rocker or whatever. You got to appreciate Frank Sinatra too. Absolutely. Just, no, just absolutely tremendous. Thanks for the call. Let's see. Linda in Watertown. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Linda. I uh, am a big Peter Noon fan. Um, so Herman Hermit starring Peter Noon. Do you, uh, uh, Henry the Eighth? I am. I am. That's right. Kind of hush and all over the into world. Something girl <laughs> into something good. Um, he's at State Fair every year, yes. and uh, I've seen him numerous times. Belong to the Nunatic fan club. <laughs> he is. Uh, he'll be seventy-one next week. Uh, and he's still going strong. He has oh, a clear uh, vinyl album and CDs out. And okay, now, a, I got to ask like this. I'm Linda. sixteen all over. Well, again. well, okay. Well, that 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 is so very cool. So, all right, I this year, I, I saw that he was he was like two two nights in a row at, at State right. Fair, and right. I really wanted to stick around and see him one of those two nights. And circumstances just dictated that I I couldn't. But I mean, is it is it, I assume that place is just packed with people that it are yelling. Is, yeah, it is. It is. We get there early and get our seats. And <laughs> um, I have friends that lunatics that come from Florida. They stay with me, Nunatics. and we go in and we have a ball. Lunatics. I I absolutely love it, Linda. Thanks for the call. I I okay. If, if he's back at State Fair next year, I I I promise. This is I'm I'm going to. I'm going to get my wife out there, Fran and I. We're going to we'll get there early, and maybe we can find somebody that can help save us some seats or or something like that. Maybe Kathleen O'Leary can even work some magic and get me some special place to stay or something like that. I'm sorry, we have jam phone lines. Our uh, our text line has exploded as well. You say to me, okay, Jeff, what would be yours? You're telling the story about the flight. Um, for me, a lot of great choices there. Um, I. For me, I keep coming back to a Jimmy Buffett record. It's Jimmy Buffett's A1A. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just, it, I remember vividly the time. Jimmy Buffett's A1A would be one. Bob Seeger's Night Moves would be another. Or Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band's Live Bullet. Those are some of the ones that I keep coming back to. Maybe a couple tunes by the Eagles, including the Eagles' greatest hits. But it, it's fun. For, for whatever, whatever the album of your lifetime is, whatever the one is that you never get tired of, just keep playing it. Don't let your friends embarrass you. Don't say you're going to play that tune again. Yes, keep playing it. It's something special. It's 254. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Please stick around, and thanks for participating.